Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. People often misuse the term psychological safety to mean the absence of conflict. But healthy conflict is necessary. We need it if we want a constructive exchange of ideas and if we want lasting and meaningful personal relationships. In this episode, I talk with Natalie Warnert. Natalie is founder, president, and executive director of Women in Agile, as well as an Agile process coach at Volkswagen Financial Services. Natalie talks about tools that can help uncover simmering conflicts within a team and turn these conflicts into a creative and bonding force. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Our special guest today is Natalie Warner. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Can you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm Natalie. I live in Chicago. For those of you who have known me for a little while, I've kind of been all over the Midwest. Um, started out my career in Minnesota and jumped around a little bit, but I'm located in Chicago now. I am the founder, president, and executive director of the Women in Agile nonprofit organization. Um, and I've been an agile coach and consultant uh, for about the last decade here. And that's about it. All right. Okay. So I've heard of women in agile as a thing. I've played a tiny role in women in agile Boston. I'm over here in Boston. I did not know that it was an official nonprofit organization. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So women in agile started as kind of just a a social movement and hashtag back in 2013. And, you know, ever since then, it's it's grown quite a bit. And that has come to encompass um, local groups like the one you mentioned in Boston. And it has come to encompass um, some conference pairings, uh, including one that we do every year at the Agile Alliance. This will be our fifth year. And some other conferences that we pair with. And then from the local groups, there have been, you know, local groups that have wanted to do kind of conference pairings and things like that. So a couple of years ago, um, you know, as this was getting a lot larger and we were doing some of these events, we were offered, you know, some sponsorships and we needed to, to incorporate. So, so we did, and then we filed for the 501c3 nonprofit status. So been an official 501c3 nonprofit for a year now. And it's, it's pretty exciting. And so that, that encompasses, you know, any of the local groups that existed before and wanted to join, um, any new local groups that want to, to join up with, you know, kind of the central organization where we just provide support and, um, you know, we, we help them with meetup costs and those kinds of things, you know, organize some of the conferences and get some materials together for folks that want to do that on their own and provide some sponsorship there. And then there's one other program that we have around launching new voices is what it's called. And we do that with our conference pairings to combat the problem of, you know, the, the catch 22 of, you know, I can't speak blog, do this unless someone gives me experience to do that, but no one will give me experience because I don't have it. And so we specifically seek out people that are interested in speaking, we pair them with mentors and give them, you know, a spot to actually speak. Um, and then we, we compensate them for that too, because we think that that's very important. So that's women in agile in a very small nutshell. <laughs> that's super cool. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And so now this podcast is about teams and, and awesome teams. And I'm sure you have a team started to talk about with, with women in agile. What I'd like to ask people is what was the best team of your entire life? 
right? And this, this could be one of the teams that you're a member of today. It could be a work team, a non-work team, any group of two or more people that you've been part of in your life. What was the best one of those? You know, it's, it's really hard to pick just one, but I'm going to do, you know, the recent, the recent example, the ongoing example right now, and that would be, um, you know, my six person board of women in agile and okay. we are a great, great team. Okay. So this team, the board of women in agile, six people, six of you, this should be easy to, to take yourself to the work you're doing. Uh, you know, oftentimes when I ask people this question, some team in the distant past, what is it about this team when you're meeting together, when you're doing your, your activity together, when you're, when you're working together? Could you summarize how it feels in one word? I think the, the underlying word I would say would be compassion. You know, everyone is, is there for the same reason. And people are, are so great at being those, those compassionate team members to each other. Um, we know that we're going toward the same vision. Um, and we also know that this is not our full-time job, far from it. However, it does take up a lot of time and everyone being there is there because they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's no compensation. It, we are all putting in, you know, regular 40 plus hour a week jobs and then, you know, doing this on the side and really because we are all passionate about it and we also have compassion for each other and the community um, in which we are, we're trying to serve. I want, I want to know more about this word compassion. What, what does that mean for you? Well, I, I take it to mean empathy in some way because again, when you're working with a, a group of volunteers and you know everyone has their own lives and their own jobs, things get busy. They get super busy and you know sometimes deadlines go awry. Sometimes someone disappears for a few weeks and it's really easy to get super frustrated with that. And I know that you know I'm not the best person at not getting frustrated about those types of things. But the way that the team really comes together is, you know, they they help to hold everyone, myself included, accountable for really modeling the values that women in Agile has um, and understanding that there is usually um, an underlying reason. It's usually a good reason, right? Assume positive intent. And so having that compassion for what other people are going through. And then I just like the word compassion because it has passion in it, right? (laughs) And I think that passion is so important for, you know, people's types of of work that they they do. And if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, right, that doesn't make, um, that doesn't make coming to work or coming to meetings every day an enjoyable thing. It's just something that you kind of have to do. And I don't think that's a life that a lot of people want to to live. So that's kind of what compassion means to me and why I think it so accurately describes this Women in Agile board team. All right. Okay. And this Women in Agile board, subjectively, objectively, how do you know this is such a great team? Well, objectively, we try quite hard to you know, actually formalize the things that we're doing, the small experiments that we are running and put some some actual metrics, baselines, goals in place. So we can objectively look at the results from, okay, we tried to do this thing. We sent out this particular email campaign. We um, launched this new program. Here's, you know, where we were. Here's where we are, right? Let's compare those two. Did we meet our goal? Did we make an impact? What's measurable about that? What's objective? And so, you know, it's it's partially the effectiveness, right? Subjectively, I would say, I don't know, it just, it feels good. Um, (laughs) I don't want to say it seems easy. Easy is a super subjective word. Um, That's what 
pops into my head. It's definitely not easy. Um, and I think that that's why it's, it's good. Um, I think there's, you know, this could be kind of both objective and subjective. There, there is actually a good amount of healthy conflict on the team. And so, you know, we've gone through, through cycles. Um, and I don't think that the Tuckman model is extremely accurate because, you know, it's not a, a forming, storming, norming, performing. It's, you know, forming, storming, more storming, <laughs> a little bit of norming, storming again, like maybe performing. And then you add a couple of people and it starts over. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, being aware of that, that, and having the space for, for healthy conflict has been super, super important. And, you know, subjectively at various points, someone may have, you know, if they were listening in on a call or something, I've been like, Oh, there's, there's some tension here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we all respect each other enough that we're okay with that tension and we can resolve it in the way that it needs to be resolved, whether it be, you know, right at that time or, you know, later someone does some reflection and is like, Oh, maybe I need to, you know, apologize for this. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I know I have to do that all the time. I, I, I love this idea of healthy conflict. I've been, I've been pondering this for the last couple of months, healthy conflict. And uh, people talk about people, people sometimes misuse the, the term psychological safety to mean there's no conflict. Right. I don't know. What, what's the, what's a tool you have, or what's an example of a conflict and, and a healthy way to resolve it? What, do you have anything you can share on that? Sure. Um, so we, as a board, you know, we're we're in some of the forming and and storming cycles um, that you go through, and you know, there were a couple things that were were kind of plaguing us. Um, I don't think we had all ever met face to face at that point, uh-huh. so that was interesting. Um, I had worked with a couple of the people I knew, so I had I knew everybody because I had kind of initially formed this board, but the rest of the board did not know everybody. And I wouldn't say that any of us had really close relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in retrospect, looking back, like it felt like we were all kind of tiptoeing around each other and that wasn't healthy conflict. Yeah. Um, cause there really wasn't any conflict. And if anything happened, we would kind of just like ignore it when it got to be healthier. You know, I was realizing that there were a lot of, of underlying feelings and, and people, you know, didn't necessarily trust each other. So, you know, this, this team didn't start out as being this awesome high performing team. Um, you know, we started up out like any other team where we're trying to figure each other out and figure out what we're trying to do, you know, build an organization at the same time. But one of the things that we did that I think really fostered some healthy conflict and some, some vulnerability was we did an exercise um, that I call name your trigger. And I wrote a blog post about it a few years ago, but essentially said to everybody, okay, think about, you know, something within the workplace or within interactions that really triggers you. And it, you know, makes you just crazy, annoyed, angry, whatever it may be. Think about that. How do you react when that happens? Right. And we actually each kind of talked about that just in the things that, you know, we were going through within the organization. And so mine was the one I can think about is like my, one of my triggers is like spelling errors and grammar errors in emails and that kind of thing. And it just it drives me crazy. And I explained the background of why that was. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, I was just, you know, harped on about this and I really struggled with it. And so it became really important to me. Now, when I see it, I react because I am thinking, okay, you're in a hurry, you're being sloppy. 
you know, and then I kind of take that to the next level saying, if you're being sloppy here, are you being sloppy somewhere else? And kind of talking through that and saying, and how I react to this is, you know, I'll react a little bit passive aggressively, or, you know, I might email someone else and be like, Hey, you know, I noticed that you spelled this and this wrong. Can you make sure that if we are sending out an official email, you're running the spell check and people might get upset about that. And so just talking about, you know, here's, here's me at my worst and this is um, what I do. And this may be how you've seen it manifest. And so we all went through that. And I think after that, like understanding, not just this is the trigger, but understanding this is where it came from in my life and the experience that I had leading up to this. And then this is how I react. We, we kind of all got those things out there and we were like, okay, it makes a lot more sense. Some of the things that we've been tiptoeing around with each other, because yeah, we kind of knew something was up, but didn't necessarily know what it was. And we kind of came up with, you know, just some simple ways to remind each other that, Hey, when you're, when you're feeling triggered, right. I'm noticing this behavior or, you know, maybe take a second and take a couple breaths or whatever it may be. And I think that was a really healthy way to, to talk about some of the conflict that we'd been experiencing, but also get to know each other better and, you know, establish that it's okay to be vulnerable and build up some trust around, you know, we've, we've shared these things that are fairly personal um, mm-hmm. and they're not at our best, but that, you know, that in and of itself does build um, a level of, of trust. All right. I love that activity. And I know in the future to make sure I double check everything before I email it to you. <laughs> What are some other um, what are some of the other concrete behaviors that you use together on this team that that lead to its success? Yeah, I mean, checking in constantly on working agreements. You know, that mm-hmm. seems really simple, but you know, another thing that you know that I think a lot of a lot of groups struggle with is expectations that they have of each other. And you know, some of the things, especially being a completely remote group, and we only meet virtually, you know, once or twice a month we obviously have a lot of things we need to go over in between that time. And so things like, okay, you know, if we put something on the Slack channel, right. And we tag it with this, that means you're, you know, you're expected to respond within 24 hours. Otherwise things would kind of just like go off to the wayside. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if you want someone to do something, put a comment here, this person only likes email, those types of things. And, And another thing that's really important, I think in, in teams, and, you know, and I said, I said trust, but I'll take it one step further than that. Really the, the trust to be autonomous and to decentralize things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we started the, the organization, we kind of had appointed each one of us to one of the programs. However, you know, it's, I'd be really interested if my board listens to this, um, <laughs> or I should say the board, they're not mine, but um, with having, you know, with having this organization that that I was so invested in, um, and you know, I came up with a lot of a lot of the ideas and put some of the things in motion. A lot of other people did things too, um, but kind of being looked to as as the leader, I found myself sometimes being more of the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion, except I'm not paid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and when we when we kind of divided up the responsibilities for things and delegated and started to really decentralize, which in and of itself is what allowed the org to grow, having that that trust for folks to be autonomous, you know, between all of us was super important. Right? Everyone has great ideas, but even if someone does something the way that you wouldn't necessarily do it, because we're also kind of integrated, these programs overlap quite quite a bit. Just 
allowing that to happen and not necessarily feeling like you have to step in and, and give your opinion every time. I mean, this is something that I continually struggle with, but, you know, trusting that they have a vision, you know, we share those visions obviously, but they've thought through these, these actions. And, you know, even if it's not exactly the way that you would have done it, that's okay. And I think that's something that a lot of folks struggle with because, you know, everyone does things their own way. Everyone has their own standards for uh, spelling or how things are done or how things are messaged. And so, you know, just having that, that trust and that giving that autonomy to each other is, is really important, especially, you know, when you have that, when you have a, a leader um, that, you know, it's kind of their baby. So yeah, those are a couple of things I think that are really important. All right. Now, how about some advice for listeners? How could they reproduce some of this team's success? I would definitely encourage you to try the trigger activity. I'm guessing we have show notes. We'll put the links, some links in the show notes yeah. um, for that post where I talk about that. But, you know, you can kind of modify that as, as you need. And it's just, it's just a really interesting activity. And I think it just really helps to, to build some of that relationship very quickly. You know, it's something that can be done at a retrospective. It can be done in mm-hmm. a half an hour. If you need to, I'd say maybe take an hour because people like to talk. At least I do. <laughs> I would say another thing is, you know, think about decentralization of decisions and of responsibility and delegation um, and really think about what needs to be centralized and what does not. That's something that, you know, as, as this organization, like I mentioned, I mean, if we wouldn't have decentralized things, local groups are essentially completely autonomous. We, we support them. We will help them. We, we do some community of practice type calls. But, you know, otherwise they're free to run as, as they wish. We love the idea of sharing. We love to, to help wherever we can, but we don't put a lot of centralized um, stipulations on them. And so, you know, I think as you have organizations um, and teams, you know, a lot of the things that, that are very difficult about that is the traditional hierarchical structure um, that can lead to micromanaging. Um, and then the, the circles of, of trust around that oh, we let you make this decision once it didn't go well. So now we're going to do it. And yeah. then you never get out of that circle. And so it's kind of continuing to really push yourself on what can be and what should be decentralized. And, and you know, if it makes you feel a little bit weird about that, and if it's like, oh, maybe that shouldn't be decentralized, chances are it probably still could be and should yeah. be. Um, there are some really good matrices out there that kind of help you to make some of those decisions um, and you know, really determine what can be delegated and decentralized. So I think that's another big one. And then with, you know, with the working agreements, do the exercise around working agreements and really agree, here's what we all expect of each other and we are going to hold each other accountable for this. I think a lot of groups start out with working agreements as a good idea, but I think a lot of times they get posted on a wiki somewhere and forgotten about. And, you know, I think that actually going back to those on a frequent basis, specifically when, you know, if new folks are added to the team or if, you know, the team's been having some, some conflict that's you know, maybe not constructive, going back to those working agreements, reviewing them again, saying, you know, are we still all in agreement of this? Um, and even having some some specific word, like a, a trigger word or a reminder word when, mm-hmm. you know, someone's doing something that's not adhering with the, the working agreements, just as a quick reminder versus like, you know, actually completely calling someone out and stopping like a meeting. But, you know, let's say you look over and I'm on my phone, which I do all too often. And, you know, you just say, 
you know, in the middle of a sentence, Hey, Natalie phone. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to put that away. (laughs) Um, so things like that. And it seems simple, but you know, in practice we get very caught up in things and it can be, it can be difficult to, uh, to do that. So how do we make it, how do we make it easier and how do we make it, you know, safe, that psychological safety to be able to do that. And that, you know, all comes from the building relationships and the trust and the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for all that advice. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything else you want to add? Anything you've been thinking about lately? And obviously women agile is one of your, your passions, any other passions, anything else you'd like to share? Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and it does have to do with agile and women in agile, I am starting to work on a book around what, you know, what nonprofits and social movements can learn from thinking like a lean startup. And so it's going to use women in agile as a case study um, as to, you know, how we did some of these things to decentralize the movement and really allow it to grow the things that we still had to keep our hands on and the, you know, lean startup and uh, product kata experimentation route that we took for a lot of the things that, that we do. And so I think the really interesting thing about, um, looking at a nonprofit or a social movement versus a you know for-profit startup is you know there's a few different things. Um, first and foremost, we really nonprofits and movements really don't have money. You know, startups have some seed money and you know venture capital and um, or investor money from their founders. Nonprofits don't, um, not usually anyway. And so when you look at those experiments, really, how do we make these experiments as quick and as lean as possible so we know that we're going in the right way? Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, again, the, the movement or nonprofit type things, they're usually looking at a different type of, of problem. It's not a traditional product, whether that be you know a software product or um, a physical product. It's more of a service, but it's looking to, to change some usually societal status quo or condition. And so that's very different because a lot of people don't think about that in the same way. They don't think about leaders of those, those things as innovators, which they are. They don't think about running experiments on it because it's what are you experimenting on? Well, we're experimenting on you know, what we can change at various levels of society or whatever it is. And so I'm going to write about yeah how we've used some, some agile principles, some lean startup principles, some product kata principles to experiment on you know, changing some of those, those status quo. And obviously societal changes are, are much larger and take a lot longer to make. But with the advent of various technologies um, that allow sharing and decentralization more than, you know, we've ever had it before, that really has, you know, expounded these types of, of movements. So we could say, yeah, hashtag women in agile. We could also say hashtag me too. We could also say, you know, hashtag Fridays for future and hashtag times up, like all of those different types of things that are these social movements. Some of them have changed into nonprofits, hashtag Black Lives Matter, which is a nonprofit, same with Women's March. And so following those trajectories and, you know, you can too kind of thing. I can't wait to get my hands on that book. Okay. Now, if listeners would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Everything is pretty much under my full name, actually. I'm on... um, on the web at nataliewarnert.com. Uh-huh. I am on Twitter, of course, um, at Natalie Warnert and, you know, Instagram, all that stuff. And then for Women in Agile, um, we are on online at womeninagile.org. We're on Twitter at womeninagile.org. I'm also on Instagram at womeninagile. We'll type all that stuff up. And there's plenty of ways to, to get a hold of, you know, everybody everything through there. So pretty, pretty pervasive out there. 
All right. Awesome. We'll add links to a lot of these things in the episode notes. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm so glad you could join us today. Thanks so much, Natalie. You're welcome. Hi, friends. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.